Judges chapter number 7. Now, we're going to begin reading in verse number 16. And as you find your place, allow me to set the stage for you. The land of Israel has been under the oppression of the Midianites for seven years. God has raised up a man by the name of Gideon. Gideon is not a brave man in and of himself. In fact, when we're introduced to him in Scripture, he's hiding behind a wine press, threshing his wheat, so that the Midianites don't come and see him and take it away from him. But when the Lord appears to him, he says, Gideon, thou mighty man of valor. Now, aren't you glad that the Lord saw something in us that we couldn't see? Amen? Aren't you glad? I look at uh, my life and I say, why would anybody want to save that life? But I'm glad the Lord looked at my life and said, I'll not only save that life, but I'll give everything to save that life and paid my sin debt on Calvary. And so he has raised up Gideon, and uh, Gideon calls together an army of 32,000 individuals. Now, that's a pretty healthy army, amen? It wasn't nothing compared to the army that the Midianites had, but that's a pretty healthy army. And the Lord looks at him and says, Gideon, that's too many. And so he uh, says to Gideon, he says, I want you to turn around and look at everybody and say, if you're afraid, then I want you to turn around and go home. And so uh, Gideon makes that proclamation, 22,000 turn around, and go home. Amen. Must have felt like a Sunday night around there after that. Somebody say amen to that. And uh, so only only, uh, only 10,000 are, are left. And so Gideon says, well, I guess we'll just have to trust the Lord. And uh, the Lord says, well, Gideon, you're going to have to trust me more than that because you've still got too many. So he leads them down beside a uh, body of water and he tells them, he says, Gideon, this is how we're going to separate them out. Everyone, when they go to drink the water, everyone that kneels down and drinks the water, puts their uh, face to the water and drinks it, uh, them I want you to turn around and send home. But those that reach down into the water and cup it in their hand and lap at it like a dog might, those are the people that are going to go with you. Don't you know that Gideon was uh, just wringing his hand saying, boy, I hope they all cup their hands and drink that water that way. Uh, but only 300 were uh, drinking of the water in the right way. Uh, let me say this to you this morning. I know you're standing. I, I don't want to wear you out before we even started preaching. But let me say this. that That's usually the statistics in most churches. Is there about 1% that knows how to drink the water. Amen? I want to be part of that 1%. Uh, just because I'm a preacher, that don't mean I'm default into that 1%. There's a lot of preachers uh, as or more backslidden than their people. I want to be in that 1% that wants to do things God's way and see God get the victory. And so it has been whittled down to 300 individuals. And in verse number 16, the Bible says this, He divided the 300 men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow with a trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of all the camp, and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. So Gideon and, all, and the hundred that were with, men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. And the three companies blew the trumpets and break the pitchers and held the lamps in their left hands and the trumpets in their right hands to blow withal. And they cried, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man in his place round about the camp. And all the host ran and cried and fled. 
And the three hundred blew the trumpets, and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. And the host fled to Bethsaida in Zerarath, or in Zerarath and to the border of Abel-Mahalah, unto Tabath. And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, and out of Asher, and out of all Manasseh, and pursued after the Midianites. Now, I want you to look back with me in verse number 19. The Bible says, So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch, and they had but newly set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and break the pitchers that were in their hands. Now, let's pray together. Father, I pray this morning that you would give clarity to my words and thoughts. I pray, Lord, that through the Holy Spirit you would take these truths and apply them to the hearts of each individual under the sound of my voice. Lord, most of all, we pray that the unction and power of the Holy Ghost would be effectual this morning in the preaching and in the convicting of both sinner and saint. If there's any amongst us that are lost and undone, show them their greatest need, which is that of Calvary, before it's everlasting too late, and we'll be sure to thank you. Lord, I love you this morning, and I thank you for loving me. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And the passage that is set before us, there are so many instructive truths that if we really wanted to exhaust this passage, I would guess it would take all of eternity to do so. But you can imagine the scene that is set before you. The Midianites are camped down in a, in a low area. And uh, Gideon and his band of a hundred men and two other bands of a hundred men, they gather on every which side of this camp. And they have in their hands basically three implements for the battle. They have no sword. They have no spear. They have no shield. But God has equipped them for the battle at hand with a trumpet. Now, how many of you know this? uh, That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Amen? This battle that we're in, I mean, uh, listen, we are in a battle. We are in a spiritual battle today. But it is not fought with swords and spears and shields or guns and tanks or missiles. But the warfare that the believer is engaged in, uh, we are to suit up in the whole armor of God, take the sword of the Spirit, which the Bible says is the Word of God, take the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, be girded about with truth, to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and we are to go into battle. Our weapons are spiritual, they are not carnal. And so I think the trumpet, in a lot of ways, presents the message that we carry out to this lost and dying world. Also in their hands, they were to have a lamp that they were holding. I believe the lamp uh, bears testimony to the witness of Christ in the life of the believer. Christ said, I am the light of the world. But then, you know, he said this, he said, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he turned around and he said, gee, are the light of the world. You say, preacher, what does that mean? It means this, that inasmuch as Christ indwells our life and affects our life and uh, expresses Himself through our life, we can be the light that Jesus would desire to have through this world. But then the Bible says there was an unusual implement involved. You can sort of imagine that if a, uh, if a group of soldiers are getting together and they are uh, taking a list of all of the uh, resources and supplies that they might need for a battle. Well, you could imagine in that day there'd be some trumpets on the list, wouldn't you think? You would imagine probably in that day if they planned on attacking at night, which our Bible says that it was in the beginning of the second watch, that's about midnight, that if they were going to attack at that time, that probably some lamps might be in their arsenal. But don't you know, whoever was getting that list ready uh, must have scratched his head when Gideon looked and said, I want you to gather me 300 pitchers for this battle that is set before us. 
The Bible tells us that they took those pitchers and placed them over the lamps. And there in the moment of battle, they were to break those pitchers and expose the light to bewilder and confuse and defeat the enemy that was in front of them. I want to take a few moments this morning and talk to you and preach to you about this thought. Broken for the battle. We know there is a spiritual battle in front of us. And here's the problem with a lot of us this morning. We think that we uh, are to go to the battle strong when the fact is we need to be broken if the battle is going to be won. By the same token, there's some of you this morning, you didn't come here feeling strong. You came here feeling broken. And you feel like you just aren't prepared for the battle at hand. Can I tell you this morning that if God's ever going to get victory through our lives, it's going to take some broken things. You see, we would have reached for the sword, but God wrote wretch for the pitcher that he might break it. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Let me give you a few thoughts uh, just by way of introduction that I want you to consider about this picture. I believe this picture represents to you and I the life that we live, our ability, our strength. Consider what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And you can jot that down if you're taking notes. In verses 6 and 7, Paul said this, For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness... I might just stop here and preach this morning, amen? For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Now, that's speaking about us knowing Jesus Christ. Isn't that right? Let me read it again. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's talking about the life of Christ in us and through us. And then listen to what Paul says. He says, but we have this treasure... In earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. You see, as I already said, there's a lot of instructive truths from this passage this morning. But what I have on my heart is basically this. We are in spiritual warfare. You may have come this morning and feel like your heart and life is broken and like you're unprepared for the battle. But I would submit to you that the way that the pictures had to be broken for the light to shine, that you and I, our life, our strength, our will, our aspirations and ambitions must be broken if God is going to get glory out of our life. Consider these three truths before we get into the preaching. Notice first off the commonness of the picture. There were 300 men and there were 300 pictures. Every soldier was equipped with a picture. You know, sometimes when we look at the heartaches of life, we see them as a detriment to our ability when the fact is they are our greatest resource. Every one of us has a life. Here's the question. What are we going to do with it? Every one of you sits here today with a pitcher in your hand, with a life in your body, with a breath in your lungs. What are you doing with it for the glory of God? We talked a little bit this morning in Sunday school, and I ain't got time to teach Sunday school and preach all at one time, amen? I don't know if my Sunday school class could bear it. But we talked a little bit this morning about what Paul said about his journey uh, unto Rome. And he said that he had desired to go unto Rome, but was let hitherto. He said that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, that we might both be blessed by the mutual faith, both of me and of you. And what he was saying is this, my whole desire in life is to come and bless you spiritually and to be blessed of you. He's saying, I want to traverse land and sea. I want to imperil my life. And if you read the end of the book of Acts, you'll see that he did that very thing. I want to imperil my life so that I might come and be a blessing unto you. So that I might come and teach you truths of the Word of God. So that I might come and live a footprint 
of eternal consequence on your life. wonder how many of us have been leaving eternal footprints on people's lives. We all have a picture. We all have a life. Here's the question is, what are we doing with it? Consider the commonness of the vessel. Consider also the content of the vessel. You know, uh, back in this day, and by the way, when they're talking about pictures, this is not talking about an ornamental vase, but this is talking about a basic, uh, we, you know what we'd call it today? We'd call it Tupperware. Amen? I, I mean, it ain't, your, it ain't your fine china. It ain't your real nice. It, it's that old Cool Whip bucket that you keep around the house and you've washed 150 times. You spent more on washing powder on that Cool Whip bucket than a, than a whole pack of Tupperware would cost you. But uh, it's, it's the cheap stuff. And the value of the picture, I want you to listen carefully, is determined not by the material of the picture, but by the content of it. It's not about what it is, it's about what it's got. Amen? It's not about what it's made of, it's about what it contains within it. And I would propose to you this, that these pictures on this day, they had a very unusual content. Now, I don't know what you'd typically put in a picture at this time. I can take some guesses. Probably they would use a picture to go down and to draw water. From the river. Probably they would use these pictures uh, maybe to store grain or to store some kind of wheat or, or oats in it. We learn in uh, the story of Elijah uh, that uh, the widow woman used the, the cruise, uh, the pitcher, to put oil in and to put flour in. But I bet you no one in all of Israel would go into their house and take a pitcher and place a lamp within it. It, it had something unusual that it contained. Could I say it this way? It contained something unnatural. You know, if there's any value to your life and mine, it's not because of the beauty with which the picture is, or is, uh, is decorated. I got news for you. It's funny. You know, young people are so wrapped up in looks. I mean, not me. I think everybody here can testify to that. Young people, they're so wrapped up in looks, they don't get it, man. I mean, by the time you hit 30, there's nothing else to look forward to. Amen? When it, I mean, when it comes to physical appearance, it's just everything's downhill, you know? I, parts of your body take up residence on other parts of your body. Amen? And your body just, just starts misbehaving. I mean, hair grows where it shouldn't and, and doesn't grow where it should and nothing makes sense anymore. There's parts of your body that hurt that you didn't even know you had. I heard one preacher put it this way. You reach a place in life where you go to bed at night and you put more of yourself in the nightstand than you put in the bed. Amen? But they're so wrapped up. Listen, it's not about how the picture is decorated. Amen? By the way, it's not about the strength of the picture either. Because in this time, all these vessels, they would have been earthen vessels. And at some point, I don't care who you are, I don't care how strong you are, there's something that can break your picture. Your picture might be stronger than my picture. But at the end of the day, something can break it. The content is what it's all about. Here, let me ask you this. What does your life contain? What does it contain? I'm not talking about the car you drive, the house you live in. I'm not talking about the plans that you've made or the things that you've achieved. I'm talking about right now, if you were to take a snapshot of your life, do you have anything, not your circumstances, not your possessions, but your life? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you have anything worth living for? It's all determined by what it contains. And I'd like for you to notice the condition of these pictures. The Bible tells us that they retch out and broke them. That tells me they were fragile. Can I tell you that life is a fragile thing? It's important for everybody to understand, but especially those of us that are on the younger side of things. Here's why. Because we feel like nothing can touch us. 
when the reality is this. Every person in this room is one phone call away from being on that floor in pieces. Just one phone call from the hospital. One phone call from the police station. One phone call from a weeping loved one. And our life can be in pieces. We think we're strong, but we just haven't met the battle yet. Amen? We think we're tough, you know. We think we can handle it. But we've not met the battle yet. I think these pictures represent the life that we live. I want to give you three reasons this morning why these pictures had to be broken. Or three reasons that these pictures were broken when other pictures were not broken. Let me say this, that it was unnatural to the experience of the picture to be broken. That's not what a picture is created for, at least not in the mind of the artist that fashions it. But God had a plan for these pictures that the creators may have never had. Let let me just pause here and say this. Could it be that God might have a plan for our children and grandchildren that we don't have for them? We We want to ride in on a white horse and save them from everything they're going through. But could it be God has a plan that we don't understand and that we can't see yet? Sometimes, and I'm not saying we need to just let young people flounder in life, but I'm saying this, we don't need to come in and try to protect them from the chastisement of God. We need to allow them. Uh, There's a lot of things you ought to shield your kids from, but their relationship with God is not one of them. It's not one of them. And so we find three reasons that these pictures were broken. I want you to remember them or jot them down with me this morning. Let me say, number one, that these pictures were broken because of their place in the hand. Now, how many of you know this, that the safest place for a picture to be is on the shelf? But the most useless place for a picture to be is on the shelf. There were a lot of pictures in Israel this day, no doubt. Probably every home had at least one, maybe two, three. If it's like Tupperware, they had that bottom corner drawer that you couldn't even get the door open on because of all of the pictures in there. Amen? You'd open that door and picture lids just go flying everywhere all of a sudden. Now, let me tell you something. I, I want to complain about Tupperware for just a moment. Is that all right? It may not be spiritual, but let me say this. If you can't find a lid for it, you don't need to have it. If you can't find the bottom to it, but you've got the lid, you don't need to have it. Unless you're going to start investing in some molds to melt this Tupperware down and create new Tupperware, then once you've lost the lid, it serves no function. Amen? And let me say this. Women have this ability. I guess it's men too. I don't want to be misogynistic. Amen? But, but let, let, let me say, women have this ability to turn that corner cabinet into Mary Poppins' handbag. More Tupperware is in that than can physically, by the laws of physics, abide in that corner cabinet. I don't know how they fit it in there, but let me say this. When you open a door and there's an avalanche, there's something wrong. Amen? There's something wrong. I don't even know how we got there. Boy, I feel good having said it. Some of you men are going to amen me. You're going to come up, you're going to say, Preacher, it was a good message, but what really spoke to me was the part about the Tupperware. (laughs) Amen. Amen. See, at the end of the day, it was the ones that were in their hands that got broken. Now, I want you to follow me. I want you to listen carefully. When our life gets broken, it is evidence that God is still dealing with us. (laughs) I don't know if you realize this, but a lost man can live any way he wants and be in perfect 
contentment. Let me call it that. I won't call it happiness. It's not happiness. I won't call it peace. It's not peace. The lost man can live any way that he wants and he'll be perfectly content. He'll be satisfied to live that way. Oftentimes as believers, we see the life of unbelievers and we think, well, man, how come they're prospering and I'm not prospering? How come they're having a good time and I'm not having a good time? I'll tell you why. Because every son whom the Lord loveth, he chasing it. And as a believer, you and I, we can't live any old way we want. Because God's going to have an opinion about the way that we live. We so often think when our life is broken, when our heart is broken, that it's because God has forgotten about us. But the reality is it's because God is still fooling with us. Amen? He's still dealing with us. He's still molding and shaping our life. Certainly, it was the the clay that was on the potter's wheel that got broken down and remade. Amen? Don't you imagine if you were to somehow uh, give life to that clay, that would have been an unpleasant experience. But for it to be what the potter wanted it to be, it had to be broken down after it was marred and remolded and made into something new. And all that while, I want you to listen, it never left the potter's hand. The pictures that are on the shelf. And you know, that's, that's part of the danger. Here's what we have a tendency to do as believers. When things get tough, we want to check out and quit on God. We say, well, preacher, I, you know, I just can't handle it. It's just too tough. I, I, I can't manage. Oh, sure you can. You're in the hand of an almighty God. You're going to be able to make it through. Right now, you may be in a broken-hearted condition. You say, preacher, I don't know if I can last. Well, don't run from God, because the safest place for you to be is in the hand of the almighty. I see uh, its uh, placement. It was in the hand. I want you to notice, uh, not only do we see in this passage because of its place, but I'd like for you to note that it was broken according to a plan. You know, sometimes we we go out to eat in restaurants, particularly on Sunday afternoons we'll go out to eat, and uh, it's always funny that moment when somebody back in the kitchen drops a glass. You know what I'm talking about? And everybody in the restaurant looks like somebody has just thrown a bomb in there. Amen? Everybody, I mean, you hear, and everybody goes, like that, all at one moment, you know, like it was their fault or something. Like they were the ones that broke it. You know, a lot of times in life, things happen and they seem random. And for the lost man, they may be. But let me tell you something. The experiences that you and I go through are there according to a very distinct plan. I wrote this down. It may be conflict. But don't for a moment think that it's chaos. It may be uncomfortable. You may not ask for the trial that you're going through. Listen, there's people in this room that are brokenhearted. They got kids out of the will of God, grandkids out of the will of God. They got things going on they can't understand, and their world has been flipped, turned upside down. And I just want to promise you this morning, though you may not make sense out of it, though maybe I cannot make sense out of it, that if you were to see things through the divine eyes of an almighty God, it would make sense. It's not random. It's not random. You say, preacher, what about when we make mistakes and mess up? That's everybody's go-to. You know, we want to believe God's in control except when we've disobeyed. Let me say this. God's not a very big God if He can't take into account our disobedience. And can I remind you this? These pictures were broken on this day because Israel had rebelled against God and been brought under the captivity to the Midianites. It may have been a a very long-ago mistake, but the mistake of the Midian or of the Israelites was the reason these pictures were being broken. People say, "Well, preacher, I've messed my life up. I've done things wrong. I've made mistakes." Sure, you have, and so have I. And look around this room. So has every single person that you see. 
But I'm glad. Listen, we have a God of grace. And I understand that He's a God of judgment. I understand He's a God of wrath. I understand He's a God of righteousness and holiness. I'm aware of all those things. But let me tell you something. I'm glad that as, as prominent as His holiness may be, and it is prominent, that through the grace or, or through the cross of Calvary, God's grace can speak to us instead of just His holiness. God can speak to us in the finished work of Christ on Calvary. And as you and I sit here today, you say, Preacher, I may have made mistakes. I, I, I've messed up. I've done things wrong. You probably have. But God loves you anyway. And God has not thrown you away anyway. God has not cast you off. He has a reason this was broken according to a plan. Let me say number three. Not only was it broken according to a plan, but it was broken for a purpose. You say, Preacher, what do you mean? We just talked about Well, there's a difference. It's one thing to say that you've got a plan. But it's another thing to be able to say like God can say that I have a distinct purpose that I am accomplishing in your life. I talked to him this morning a little bit about God's manifold purposes. You know, the Bible says God's purposes are manifold. And you know what a manifold, most of you do on a car does. It takes exhaust from all the different places and funnels it into one place so that the car can, can expel that exhaust. God's purposes work like that, except almost kind of in reverse. God has a singular, listen carefully, God has a singular desire for this world. I want you to listen carefully. It's that this world be to the glory of God. The glory of God is the singular preeminent purpose for everything that happens. That's, that's where it starts. But then God funnels this thing out into all of our lives so that He's getting glory out of your life in one way. He's getting glory out of my life in another way. And not only that, but God sometimes He's chastening us, and at the same time He's growing us, and at the same time He's warning someone else, and at the same time He's strengthening someone else. God never does just one thing at a time. And so it's not just that there's a plan for the breaking of these pictures, but the breaking of these pictures, and I wrote it down this way, it is significant, it is not senseless. It's not senseless. Have you ever looked at a tragedy and the thing that broke your heart most was that it was just senseless? We're horrified at all of the things that go on around us. But I'll confess to you, oftentimes the thing I'm... Listen, I'm horrified. When a Muslim gets up and goes and takes a gun and shoots up a bunch of people, that's horrifying. Amen? Uh, when, when someone uh, goes and, and, and robs a, a person and shoots them and kills them, that, that, that's horrifying. But I think probably the things that horrify me the most as I observe this world around us is oftentimes when someone has a mental illness and they go untreated or uncared about or whatever it might be, and they go out and just in the, in the madness of their mind, they do harm and violence to someone else. Do you know why that bothers me so much? Because it's senseless. I'm not saying it's right for the other people to do the things they do, but I'm just saying there's something maddening about the fact that something we can't ascribe a reason for it. I think that's one of the reasons we struggle with our trials in life. is because even though we know there's a purpose, we can't see the purpose. Can I flip this around on you? You may know there's a purpose, but you can't see it. But take encouragement, fellow Christian, that though you may not see the purpose, there is a purpose. There is a purpose. There was a reason these pictures had to be broken. I would say it's because of their pl the place uh, that they were, their place in the hand. Let me say number two. I think it was because of the light that was within them. Now, here we're getting down to the nitty-gritty of it. This is why they had to be broken. Because, number one, I want you to notice the obstruction that it was to the light. 
Now listen carefully. I want to try to get, let's put our hip waders on and let's get into deep waters. Are you ready? The fact is this. We think that God will get glory out of our strength when the reality is God gets glory out of our weakness. Now that's unpalatable. That's undesirable. We don't like that. But the fact is that this picture, though it did contain the light, it also covered the light. It was the very prevention for the light shining. Can I give you a scriptural example that I think may help you a little bit? You remember what Paul said about his thorn in the flesh? He said that, uh, that because of the visions that he had seen, that uh, there was a messenger sent from Satan to buffet him, lest he be exalted above measure. And he said, thrice I prayed and, and I asked God to remove this, to take it away from me. By the way, I don't think that just means he prayed about it three times. I think what he's saying is on three separate occasions that went on my prayer list. And then I felt like I had victory, so I took it off my prayer list. And then the devil in the flesh came sneaking up over my shoulder and persecuting me about it again. So I put it right back on the prayer list. And I prayed about it for a while, and I I gave it to God, and I had victory, and I felt better. And then all of a sudden, here comes the flesh and the devil again, persecuting me. He says, three times I prayed, and I begged God to take this away. And God answered him. did not answer him by taking it away. But he answered him with this. He said, Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. My strength is made perfect in weakness. You remember what John said about his ministry, about the Lord Jesus Christ? (laughs) He said, he must increase and I must decrease. You know what you're going through that you can't make sense of. You don't understand why. And it doesn't make sense to you. And your heart is broken. And you're begging God to take it away. And maybe God will answer. Maybe He will do that. But in the midst of the process, don't miss this. That it's brought you to the prayer closet. It's brought you to your knees. It's caused you to depend on the Lord. God is decreasing you that He might increase His presence in your life. He's decreasing you that He might increase. You know what Paul said after the Lord told him that? He said, I will therefore glory in mine infirmity, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Can I say it this way? It's only when the picture is broken that the light can shine. You are begging God to take it away, when the fact is this may be the thing that God is using to draw you closer to Him. And God may take it away. God may answer. God's able and and God may be willing to do that. But don't miss in the process while you're waiting on God to do something. Don't miss that He's already doing something in your heart and in your life. We see the prevention of this light. I'd like for you to notice the preciousness of this light. The Bible says it was the beginning of the second watch and the watch was newly set. That would have put it about midnight. Now, I want you to listen carefully to this next statement. What was contained within the picture could be nowhere else found naturally in the world of darkness that was around it. You know, oftentimes I think we don't value what God is doing in our life because we can't see the far-reaching effect of what God is doing in our life. But do you understand, you can preach every message you want to preach. And I've learned this as a pastor. I can preach all I want to preach, but nothing seems to reach our people more than when they see God working in my life. You can talk to your co-workers, to your neighbors, to your family members, and you can tell them about Jesus and how He loved you and how He saved you. And you ought to do that. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Don't be ashamed of it. Amen? But understand that sometimes there's a language that we don't know. 
And it's the language of experience and observation. And oftentimes, people will see God more in our life by watching us in our brokenness than they will see as they watch us in our blessedness. You know, that's the reason. You see these televangelists on TV, right? You've seen them. They won't let me. The, the, the FCC has told me. Is that what it is, the FCC? Or is that the people that judge flying or whatever? That's the, I don't know. The people that, that monitor TV, they won't let me on TV. <laughs> but uh, I'm not against a person being on TV and, and preaching from TV or whatever it might be. But when I say a televangelist, you know what I mean when I say a televangelist. I'm talking about like Jim and Tammy Baker, right? You know, that she that woman cried more. <laughs> to have like 18 bajillion dollars, that woman cried more than anybody I've ever seen in my life. Somebody say amen to that. Don't bow up on your pastor and take Tammy Baker's side. You're going to answer to that one day. I'm talking about a televangelist. These guys get on TV. And they talk about, oh, God wants you to be rich. What they really mean is God wants me to be rich. And they get on TV and they say, it's the will of God that you not be sick. You know, I wonder what they would have said by the tomb of Lazarus. <laughs> I wonder what they would have said when Jesus looked at him and said, foxes have their holes and birds there have their nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And then said, you want to follow me? <laughs> uh, what I'm saying is this. They try to appeal to people through a quote-unquote blessedness. But oftentimes, it's not through God blessing us that our voice is loudest, but it's through our brokenness of what we're going through. Uh, that, have you ever noticed that Job's friends, they never showed up while he was blessed. They only showed up while he was broken. And can I say this? In the way that God showed up in Job's life at the end of the book of Job, God showed up not when Job was blessed, but when Job was broken. You say, how do you know that, preacher? Well, he says at the end of the book, he said, uh, you know, I have heard with the hearing of the ears, and I've been told, but now mine eyes have seen. He says, God showed up in a way in my brokenness that He never showed up in my blessedness. Oftentimes, what we're experiencing is what this world needs. They need to see people that can see God real in their lives. Not just when they've got a nice new home or a nice new car and when everything's going well and their health is good, but I'm talking about that kind of old-time Christianity that can carry a person that carried our granddaddies and great-granddaddies through the Great Depression. I'm talking about that kind of old-time Christianity that could put a song on a person's lips like Paul and Silas when they were in prison at midnight that could shake the foundations of their circumstances. What we need oftentimes is not more blessedness. We need more brokenness. And so we see the preciousness of this light, and that reminds me of the power of this light. This light was able to defeat the enemy. Now, I want you to listen carefully. If they had gone in with swords and shields, they would have been obliterated. Only by going in with pitchers and trumpets and lamps could the battle be won. You, listen, you cannot grow in your Christian life without experiencing some brokenness. You cannot grow in your Christian life without experiencing some brokenness. The first Adam was put in a place of bliss and comfort and no worry and care. The second Adam walked through the valley of the shadow of death and came out a conqueror upon the other side. It's not the first Adam that we're following. That first Adam, he's the pitcher that has to be broken. It's the second Adam that we get our strength from. The one that said that in your weakness my strength is made perfect. The one that said uh, that uh, when you're strong I'll weaken your strength. It's him that can get the victory. 
It's not us. The light did something that the lance and the spear and the sword never could. And so we need to embrace when God is doing this in our lives. I'm not saying we need to enjoy it, but we need to embrace it. I'm not saying we need to enjoy it. That's part of the problem. Is people, they listen to a preacher say this, and they say, well, that's good for you, preacher. You ain't going through what I'm going through. You wouldn't like it either. No, I wouldn't like it. But that doesn't mean that there wouldn't be some light come out of it. Uh, listen, I, I may not like it, but it's the, if it's the will of God, God is going to get glory through it. And so I may not enjoy it, and you don't have to enjoy it either, but you have to embrace it. When you, that's what Paul meant when he said, I'll glory in mine infirmities. I'll glory. He's not saying I'm going to enjoy it. He's saying this. I'm going to quit running from it and start looking to see what God's trying to do through it. I see because of the place in the hand. I see because of the light that's within. But then I noticed this morning that these things were broken because of the battle that was at hand. These pictures had to be broken because the war wheels and war machines of the enemy were marching on them. Here's the reality. Are you ready? There is a spiritual warfare. You're in it if you're saved. I'm in it. It's coming for us. It's coming for my child, for my wife, and for me. And it's coming for your children, your spouse, and for your family. So we better quit us like men and ready ourselves for the battle that's at hand. The fact is, we, we spend most of our... What the old songwriters say? It's a battlefield, brother, not a recreation room. This thing is... I understand we ought to enjoy life. I try to enjoy life. I try to have fun. I tell more jokes than any preacher ought to. Amen? But this is serious business. The hearts and souls and lives of our children are serious business. They're more important than the TV shows you're binge-watching. They're more important than the books we might be reading or listening to. They're more important than the activities we might be engaging ourselves in. They're more important than our hobbies. They're more important than our friends. This is serious business. So we need to get serious about it. You'll get no second chance on this. This is your chance. And you better pursue it with desperate passion. Because you'll not get to do it over again. I see three things I think about this battle that tell me that the picture had to be broken. The first thing is the magnitude of the adversary. 32,000 that Gideon started out with couldn't have defeated this army. When they go down and see it, they see them laying all across the valley. And the Bible says they were as grasshoppers. The picture that is before you when you find that in your Bible is that of locusts that are coming as a swarm over a countryside. And the idea is that the magnitude was so much it could not even be numbered. By the way, these are experienced military men that would be numbering them too. And they say, we can't ascribe a number to it. Our adversary is a daunting, fierce, dangerous adversary. The devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. I understand he's defeated, but he don't understand that. And he's going to do everything he can to destroy your life and mine. Preacher, it won't happen to me. It's happened to better than you and better than me. We better get it through our heads. This is an enemy we can't defeat on our own. I want you to hear me. Parents, would you listen to me? We can't raise our children on our own. We're trying to lean under our own understanding. And we're going to wreck them that way. We can't do it. The job's bigger than us. 
hey, listen, spouses that's having some discord to fix this thing, it's bigger than you are. You can't change another person's heart. And they can't change yours. But the Bible says the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord, and he turneth it whithersoever he will. God can do what you can't. Some of us are facing health problems. (laughs) Big health problems. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. It is beyond our ability. So we better be careful about being so hung up when God wants to break our picture. Because these are big matters. And the enemy is a big enemy. I see the magnitude of the adversary as a reason. I see the meagerness of the army as a reason these pictures had to be broken. I have a feeling that probably uh, at West Point they don't teach the battle of the Midianites against Gideon as good military strategy. Probably if they had a lesson on how to defeat thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands with just 300 individuals, they'd probably come up blank with a strategy. But aren't you glad that when man can't see a way, God can see a way? And I want you to listen carefully to me this morning. The only way we can do this thing, and I'm talking about fighting the spiritual, I'm talking about putting the pieces of your heart back together that are broken. I'm talking about raising our kids to the glory of God, fixing your marriage. I'm talking about trying to find peace and strength in the will of God through sickness that we may be experiencing. Whatever it is that's breaking you, understand this morning that there's no other strategy but to trust God. He has the only strategy that works. We don't have it. We can't do it. You are without it. I am without it. Only the light that is within. And when I say that, I mean the personage of the Lord Jesus Christ as expressed and experienced through a relationship with Him, through the prayer closet, through the Word of God, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. Only that can accomplish the task at hand. That's it. There is no other option. There is no other way. Our problem is we want to try 75 different things before we pray about it and trust God. What we need to realize is those 75 things weren't going to work without God in the first place. So instead of wasting the precious time that you have, run to God. Run to God. Run to God! And let Him do for you what you cannot do for yourself. I think because of the magnitude of the army, these pictures had to be broken. Because of the, or of the adversary, the meagerness of the army, they couldn't do it on their own. And so they had to have God's strategy and God's plan. Then finally, and I'm done this morning, I'd say because of the majesty of the Almighty, it had to be done this way. And you know, it says earlier on, if you were to read back uh, at the beginning of uh, chapter number 7, read back through chapter 6, you know the reason that God gave to Gideon of why he had to slim his army down? Why he couldn't go out there with 32,000? He said, lest Israel vaunt itself against me. You know what that means? That means, lest Israel get the victory by me, but claim the victory for themselves. The ultimate reason that God has you and I going through this is so that we'll turn to Him, look to Him, lean on Him, and then when it's all said and done, give glory to Him. That's what this whole thing's about. You see, you can't look past your brokenness to see God's grand purpose. And you may not be able to see it in all the minute details. But do know this, if you know nothing else, that you're going through what you're going through for the glory of God. That's the ultimate reason. That's why we walk this earth. The book of Ephesians chapter 1 says we, are, we exist to be to the praise of His glory. The praise of His glory. You may not understand it. You don't have to. You may not like it. You don't have to. But what you do have to do is say, Lord, if this is what you're doing in my life, 
then let me see how you're working. Let me trust in you and let me embrace what you're doing in my life. And let me lean upon you that others may see Christ through me with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed.